Gospel of our Lord Jesus and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the hour, the day, nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Whether I do this well or not, I, as I just mentioned, I try to tell as many people as I can about Jesus. Not because I think his ideology is better and suits my Western lifestyle, but simply because Jesus loved me and rescued me from a devil's hell. Even before I knew him, he did that for me. And the very least I can do now is live for him and tell people about him. To tell people who Jesus is to me. That's the weight and the challenge of our gospel message this morning. Today, the doomsday clock is 100 seconds before midnight. They just changed it recently. These sort of dialogues and reports give us the sense that the world is ending. And can I just say, it is. It is ending. Every month, sometimes every week, there's a natural disaster. There is some part of the world where there's hundreds, if not thousands of people dying and tens of thousands of people left homeless. Also, there's massive political unrest. There's continual war. There's continual warmongering. There's continual sabre-rattling. We're confronted on the nightly news about with apocalyptic imagery of war, of drought, of floods, of diseases, of climate change, doomsayers. And then, coupled with all of that, all the Hollywood movies that come out that depict the end of the world. In 2022, Hollywood made no less than... 20 end-of-the-world movies with giant global warming tidal waves, nuclear holocausts and zombie apocalypses, uh, aliens from outer space and uh, meteors crashing to Earth, just to name a few. Now, how would Jesus respond to Hollywood's prevailing end-time sentiment? I think Jesus would agree in part. He would say, yes, the world's ending. 
The context of our parable is about the end of the world. Jesus highlights some of the signs and tells us that we're in the end times. If our approach to the end of the world is just enjoy yourself, just party, just consume, just be satisfied, then Jesus will say to you, you're not ready. You're unprepared. You will be unrehearsed on the day that Jesus returns. So here's the important, the important part of this story this morning. And in fact, the whole of the gospel message. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. And he wants you to be prepared and ready. Jesus didn't reserve himself when he was here on planet Earth. He proclaimed the truth. And this morning, the truth is be ready. And so the follow-up question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Matthew 25, 1 says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, to help us understand something about the end of the world and be ready, Jesus begins by painting us a picture of a wedding. Now, we all love it when our friends and our family members get married. We attend the ceremonies or we attend the receptions. There's great joy and celebration because of a couple's commitment to one another. To be part of that and to affirm that is a very beautiful thing. However, we have a cultural variance in our story. Today, it's the bridegroom who nervously waits at the church or the chapel or the venue for his bride to come, correct? But 2,000 years ago, it was very different. The bridegroom would, send, would spend the day preparing the wedding feast and the wedding reception, and it was the bride who waited at her parents' house for the bridegroom to come and get her when the preparations had finished. And so, as you may have picked up the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins or the ten handmaidens, uh, the ten brides' attendants, all virginal ladies. It was their job to linger outside at the gate, at the end of the road, with their lamps waiting for the bridegroom so that they could lead him to the bride. Then the wedding ceremony would take place at the parents' house. And then, this is the real important thing, these bridesmaids would lead a procession through the village or the town to celebrate the upcoming and imminent wedding feast. The lamps were an important part of that procession. Everyone in the wedding party would have a lamp and they would cavort through the streets and the laneways. If you did not have a lamp, you weren't part of the wedding party. You were not invited. So the significance of the bridesmaids is that they had to be prepared and ready to meet the bridegroom and then lead the procession forward. That's the context. It was very, a very, very important job. Verse 2 to 4 says, Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Jesus is setting this up to show us two types of people. All ten of the bridesmaids were very similar. It's hard to pick them apart. They all received the invitation to be part of the bridal party. They all dress the same. They all have appropriate lamps. 
But there's one important difference. The wise took extra oil. The foolish ones did not. The foolish would have had some oil in their lamps, but the wise took extra oil. We don't know why these other five bridesmaids didn't take extra oil. Perhaps they assumed they could borrow some. Or they believed that men after uh, that that men uh, that, that men are never late to important events. Maybe they believe that. However, we're not told. Verse five says the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In our day, it's not the bride who waits; it's the groom. He's the poor sucker who has to stand and wait in front of everyone in public while nervously waiting for a late bride. In our text, roles are flipped because it's the bride who's waiting. The story tells us the groom is delayed. He's held up. He doesn't arrive at the time that they thought he would. Jesus emphasizes the delay with a little bit of wit that the groom was so late that the ten bridesmaids fell asleep. But verse 6 and 7 says, At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. So there's a mad frenzy of half-asleep young ladies scratching around for their lamps, but there's a big problem because... He's taken longer than anticipated. Some of the young ladies are not prepared. Verse 8 and 9 says, The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps have gone out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us, for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. This sounds a little bit selfish. But the truth is, if they did divide up their oil, then all ten lamps would have gone out. It's better to have five lamps that are working in honour of the bridegroom than none. The wise five are saying, we need to make sure this wedding happens. So you slackers need to go and find some oil somewhere else. We can only imagine the frantic search of these five unwise bridesmaids because these women had a very important role in this wedding. They had one task. Don't you hate it when someone only has one thing to do and they don't do it? I remember a a pastor of mine said, those who have the least to do, do the least. They had one task within the setting and the expense of this whole event. And they're found empty and wanting. Verse 10 says, But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. The foolish women are out in the night, running around looking for oil. The bridegroom arrives, the ceremony takes place and the party must go on. The bride is ready, the band is ready, the food is ready, everyone is waiting, we must go ahead. Verse 11 to 13 says, Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, 
They said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So what do we make of this story that Jesus is telling us? There are a number of different thoughts we can take away from this text. So let's do that. Let's take away a bunch of stuff that we can sort of put into our prayer life. We can put into the filing cabinet into the back of our mind. We can implement in our daily lives. So number one, Jesus wants you and me to see him as the betrothed king. The first verse gives us the clue. Jesus says, this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. The question is, who's the king of the kingdom? In the Old Testament, God's people always had kings and people who governed their lives. But in all of that, there was a yearning for a true king, a perfect king. There was a yearning for a righteous king. Daniel 7:27 says his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the ultimate king. Then Jesus comes along centuries later and this is what he says over and over. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The king of the kingdom is Jesus. He is the king of of kings this morning. Jesus reveals his kingship and his right to rule in a number of ways. First, he shows he can rule over sickness by healing people. He shows his rule and kingship over Satan by delivering people from demons. He shows he can rule over creation by calming the wild seas. He shows his kingship by never succumbing to the pressures of religious rule, the religious ruling class. Jesus was always going about his way, going about his will. He shows he can rule over sin, not only forgiving people's sins by dying in our place, uh, but also dying in our place for our sin as well. And he shows his rule and kingship over death, that Jesus defeated death. There's nothing in this world, there is There's there's not one aspect of our life this morning that Jesus does not reign and say, I am king. There's not one aspect of our life this morning where Jesus does not reign and say, I am king. But here's the other aspect that this story draws out. He is not just a king. He is a betrothed king. That when God stepped out of eternity and entered the stage of human history. He came for his people. In the Old Testament, this language of weddings and feasts, of brides and grooms, is language used to explain God's relationship to his people. So here's Jesus self-identifying as the bridegroom. That's the true picture Jesus wants us to see. Jesus, the bridegroom, coming to our world. Firstly, to die for us, to pay the dowry, the cost of the engagement. Then we, his people, the bride, wait in eager anticipation for his return. Now, I know as a bloke, and I probably speak for all other blokes in this room, and that is, this language is probably a little hard to grasp. 
as men, we don't often like to see ourselves as bridesmaids, do we? And Jesus as our bridegroom. But it's an image in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul, who's one of the toughest blokes out there, uses this imagery frequently. So if it was okay for the Apostle Paul as a bloke, it's okay for me. Okay? Can the bloke say amen? Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Ephesians 5.31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I talk about Christ and the church. Luke 5, starting in verse 33, says, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. Jesus wants us to see this parable as a picture of him. He is the bridegroom and in our day, right now, he has been taken away. But his first visit 2,000 years ago was to gather, secure and prepare a people. And that leads us to our second point. Not only is Jesus a betrothed king, but he is a returning king. And that's what this parable is showing us. Jesus will return. He's coming for his people. He will usher in the day of his wedding feast. If you're a believer here this morning, this is the day that you should look forward to. Your life on planet Earth isn't the best it's going to get in this place. Do you understand that? Your life on planet Earth is not going to be the best it's going to be. This place is not heaven. If you're a believer, your best days are still to come. Amen? Amen. And it's going to come like a wedding feast. Isaiah 25 verse 6 says, On this mountain of the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. When Jesus returns to planet earth, his second coming, he will come with, to, he, will, he, will, he, he will welcome his bride into his eternal wedding feast. So here's the deal this morning. Jesus says there's a day coming when the best things in this life are nothing in comparison to what he has. And that day will be the eternal wedding feast, a celebration. That's what we look forward to. Thirdly, verse 5 of our text tells us, that the return of Jesus will be delayed. Jesus is anticipating that from our perspective, at least, his return will be delayed. And this is important because since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to his Father, there have been so many people who have sought to discredit Christianity on this one fact. And that is, Jesus' return has not yet happened. The internet is full of fruitcakes and crackpots. People who say Jesus has not 
was not an historic figure and therefore he's not coming back. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. What does this mean for those who name the name of Jesus this morning? It means that here and now, we must pursue patience, and indeed, we must pursue perseverance. Things are going to get hard. Things are going to get difficult. Not because you're a Christian, but simply because today life has so many ridiculous self-imposed pressures, doesn't it? It will be hard. It will be a hard journey because Jesus' return will be delayed. Therefore, we are called to be a people of patience who don't give up and don't give in, who don't tap out. We are people who don't fall away. We are called to be a people who persevere, never giving up on Jesus. Some of you might be asking, why is Jesus delayed? What is taking Jesus so long? Well, there are at least two reasons I can find in Scripture. John 14, verse 2. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. If you remember back to our parable, the bridegroom in ancient times used, uh, used to spend, uh, spend the day, spent the day before the ceremony, preparing the wedding feast. Jesus is saying that the reason he's delayed is because he's preparing the wedding feast for you and for me. To date, it's been just under 2,000 years of wedding celebrations, of wedding feast celebration preparation. If God created the world in six days, imagine what sort of party is waiting for God's people in heaven. That's one possible reason. The other is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We can see the heart of God in this passage. He looks at the world that is aching in sin. And to be fair, the world that deserves judgment like yesterday, yeah? I, had a fr- I got a friend in Australia that said, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, he's going to have to repent from Sodom and Gomorrah because uh, we're in those days now. A world that dishonours him, a world that is broken, and he looks at it and longs, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. More opportunity, another day, another year. 
more opportunity, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Fourthly, Jesus will be delayed, but his return will be sudden and without notice. What were the bride, bridesmaids doing when, G, when, when, when the bridegroom came? What were they doing? Sleeping. This is not necessarily a negative picture because the wise and the foolish were both napping, weren't they? They were both napping. Many commentators suggest that this is a picture of normality. Sleep is a normal part of life. Some of us can do with a lot more sleep, can't we? So this is a picture of everyday life. If Jesus was to return to our generation, who knows what we might be doing? The point is, it will be sudden and without notice. We will not be able to anticipate it. Having said that, I'm always fascinated by the many and various cults and their leaders, all of whom seem to know a date, for some reason, that the world will end. Even though Jesus, or any of his apostles, never gave us a date. There are two dates that are going around at the moment. 2026, and the second (coughs) most popular date going around is 2060, but 2034 is also mentioned as well. Are there pictures up there? There we go. There's the, there's the latest. So what are we to make of that? Do we quickly max out our credit cards? Do we give up buying Christmas presents this year? What do we do with this information? Do we buy into this? It could happen then. It also could, could happen this morning. Or it could happen in a hundred years. And that's the point. Jesus never told us. Matthew 24, 43 says, Jesus says, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Revelation 16, 15, Jesus says, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. So if you don't wear pyjamas, you might want to rethink that strategy. There's a lot of wives elbowing their husbands at the moment. Here's the big idea. Thieves don't call ahead, do they? To let you know that they're going to break into your house, that they're on the way. The bridegroom was delayed. The question is, will you be ready? Will you be ready? Number five. At the sudden return of the bridegroom, many will be unprepared. You're probably thinking, that doesn't refer to me. It's about my atheist, purple-headed neighbour who always is bagging out Christianity. Yeah, it's, it's about them, isn't it? They will be unprepared. Not so. Not so. When Jesus is talking about the bridesmaids, the virgins, he's talking about the visible church. We can't cancel ourselves out of this parable. They're... These were people who had an invitation. 
These were people who were anticipating his return. These were people who were dressed. They were people who had lamps. So some were ready and prepared and some were not. The visible church, we all gather together, we all sing songs together, we all have our Bibles. So what is Jesus getting at this morning and how do we know if we're actually ready? The answer is in the oil. What's something that you can't get from somebody else? What is something that you cannot buy? What is something that you will not be able to get in that last hour? And that is what it is. That is central to Jesus' teaching. It's called saving faith. Remember that song, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning? That's what it's about. Saving faith, or more precisely, enduring faith. The question is not, did I go to church? Did I have a Bible? Do I have a lamp? Did I look like every other Christian? That's not the question. The question is, was your heart devoted to Jesus? Did you entrust yourself to him? John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So the big question is, are you ready? Have you responded to Jesus? Do you trust Jesus for your life now and into eternity for your life to come? Number six, in this parable, Jesus is showing us the importance of finding our oil now. That's, that means responding now. What happens when the bridegroom returns? The wise, they enter into the wedding feast. The others, the foolish, they go on this frantic search. All of a sudden, the penny drops. We really should have got some oil. Can we have your oil? And then, and when that doesn't work, they head out into the dark streets looking for some oil. That paints for us a very devastating picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. There's going to be many people who saw themselves as part of the bridal party who will assume that they can grab some faith. Yeah, I, I go to church uh, when it suits me, but I'm not really fanatic about the whole thing. But when the last day comes, when the time comes, there will be an urgency. And many will think that they can run and find it when it won't be possible. It won't be possible. And for others who will think that they can share the faith or share the oil of others, they, they might think they could ride on the coattails of family members or someone else's faith in that last hour. But my parents had faith. Doesn't that count? But I'm married to a Christian. Doesn't that count? Can't I share the oil? 
The problem is, God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. When it comes to you and God and Jesus' return and the wedding feast, Jesus will not ask you about the faith of someone else. He's not going to ask you about the family that you grew up in or the school that you went to. He's going to ask you, do you have oil? Are you prepared? Have you responded to the gospel? Final observation, number seven. Once the door is shut, you're either in or you're out. Verse 10, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him and the wedding, uh, to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. This points us back to the story of the ark in Genesis, doesn't it? God said that there was gonna, judgment was going to come onto the land and he tells Noah to build a big boat. This boat was going, to be, uh, it was, was going to be your lifeboat and the boat is going to be what saves you and your family and friends. And so he's building this boat and there's no rain, there's no flood as he preaches about God's coming judgment and everyone is accusing him of being a religious nut job and they're laughing at him and they're saying, you old fool, there's no flood, there's no rain, the world's not ending. But God was true to his word as he always is and always will be. And that time of judgment came and Noah was secure just as God had promised and yet the door was shut. I have friends and family who have turned their backs on Jesus. And yet, on the day of the Lord's return, a day that should be marked with joy, a day that should be marked with celebration, it will be one of tears and regret. These bridesmaids will not get into the feast. But they So let me close with this final thought. Now, I don't know the hearts of everybody in this room, so I'm going to take the time to do two final thoughts, okay? First one, are you ready? Are you prepared for Jesus' return? Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He knows you. He wants you to be in the wedding feast. The question is, are you ready? Are you prepared for that day? The only way to be prepared for that day is to prepare for that day. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day, of, not tomorrow, not the next day. This is not something that you can put off. This is not something that you want to miss. Jesus is challenging us and calling us to respond in faith, in practical faith. If that is you this morning, if you would love to have a chat, look, if you want that this morning, put your hand up right now. I'll pray with you right in this service. Come up, come up. I'll pray with you. Anybody else want that right now? You're not prepared. Amen. Amen. Come up here, Loretta. Yes, I repeat am. after me. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I come to you in faith. 
Lord, I thank you for dying for me on the cross. Lord, I thank you for dying for me on the cross. And you spilled your blood for my healing. And you spilled your blood for my healing. Lord, I, I ask you to forgive my sins. Lord, I ask you to forgive my sins. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to come into my heart. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to come into my heart. And I will live for you, for you from now on. And I will live for you from now on. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Put your hand towards her. Let's pray. Lord, for God, I just ask right now that you would fill Loretta from the soles of her feet to the crown of her head. Lord, fill her with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. 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 Now, if you didn't have the guts to put your hand up, come and find me after the service, okay? I will pray for you. I will. I will pray for you. Okay, my second final thought is that those of you who have saving faith, those of you who have enduring faith in Jesus, not only do we rejoice in the wedding feast to come, but we should also share, share what we should also share, the gospel witness with people that we meet. Proclaim the urgency, the importance of Jesus. That's the one thing I find troubling about this parable. The fact that I can't give my faith to you. I can't give my faith to you. And you can't give your faith to someone else. I think what I would like to have seen in this parable is if these bridesmaids would have talked about this need for extra oil earlier on rather than waiting till the last hour. But here's the big idea. Don't do that. <laughs> we can learn from this parable. Yes. We can proclaim the urgency and the importance of Jesus to our friends, to our family, to our workmates, to our neighbours, to the people we meet, to the people with purple hair. We can tell people to get that oil that is so vitally needed this morning to enter the wedding feast. Yeah, we can. We, we, those who call Jesus their Lord and Saviour, we are called to be lights in the darkness. We're called to bear witness to the truth. So please stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he came as king, that he came to save us. And even more, he came to prepare us for his coming again. We look forward with great anticipation to that wedding feast for those of us in the moments, for those of us in moments of pain, for those of us who are in moments of sorrow and doubt, help us. Help us, Lord, to persevere. Help us, Lord, to endure and not to give up on Jesus the bridegroom this morning. For those of us who are not ready yet, may we come to you, Jesus, in relationship of faith and trust. For those of us who know you, Jesus, who walk in faith.
Help us to be bold in our witness. Help us to celebrate and rejoice even through and to this broken world. Your kingdom is glorious and it is forever. Help us to proclaim the urgency of that message. Father, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Amen.